Thank you, Pastor Malcolm. Man, I'm so glad to be back here with you guys. You may need your Bible. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I love I love Coleman. I love your church. I love Temple. Well, great music this morning. Can we thank the worship team for the great job they did? It's incredible. If you guys hit that goal next week, and I know you're going to, it will push you over, just with our ministry, over 2,000 churches that you would have planted, okay? Our churches are little. They're like rabbits. They're little, but they multiply, okay? But if you figure 20 people per church, that's 40,000 new believers. Malcolm, what does this room hold? Well, whatever, uh, I don't know how many times that would fill up this room. Uh, Doug Ripley, you're smarter than me. You could probably figure it out. But basically what you guys have done is you fill this room up over and 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 over again with people that had it not been for you, that sacrifice Malcolm's talking about, they would have died as Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or whatever. And I tell you, it just warms my heart. I'm just so excited. You guys are generous. You're a, you're a great group of people. And I was looking at these Change for Churches uh, boxes you've got up here. These are the biggest ones. I've, these are the mother of all Change for Church boxes, okay? I've never seen anything quite that big. But you're getting it done. I believe you're going to hit that goal. Uh, 2,000 churches will have been planned. And that doesn't count what you've done stateside. Uh, the offerings that you've taken up for that. you Listen, I just told Malcolm and Dustin, also known as Batman and Robin, okay? Uh, that's my joke, Malcolm. All right. I just told them there's not a week go by I don't talk to some pastor in America that has been influenced by what you guys are doing here. It kind of goes back to that microchurch summit you all had here a couple of years ago during COVID. God is just using you. I was with some guys yesterday up in Michigan. God is using you greatly, and I just hope you'll let him keep doing so. Pastor uh, Malcolm said I could mention this. There are two big needs we have. One is we have to have money. I wish we didn't have to have money for ministry. I have not figured out how to do ministry without money. I wish I could. But So we, we've already talked about that. But the other big need that we have is prayer. I cannot emphasize that enough. We are launching an additional 50,000-plus church planters to be trained in the next few months, okay? That's on top of the 70,000 that we're, we're training right now. The thing just keeps going through the roof. But where we're working are areas where people are – we had a guy just beat – somebody beat the living daylights out of him a couple of weeks ago, took all of his furniture out of his house, burnt all of his furniture. Why? Because he's, he became a follower of Christ. The places we're working, it's just intense. We have to have prayer. And I'm going to be standing, I think it's out that door right there. There'll be a table out there when the service is over. And I've got some prayer cards. And I told your pastor, I brought more prayer cards to this church today than I have ever taken to any church in my life. Because I believe, I believe you guys are going to respond. Many of you are already on the prayer team, but there are many, many of you that are not. Please stop by the table, pick up a card. You've got to take a moment, stand there and fill it out. Leave it with me. We'll send you prayer requests about once a month. All we ask is that you pray and then delete it. Don't ever post anything on social media. Just pray and delete. That's all you've got to do. 
please stop and get the card and let's uh, let's give the prayer support we're going to need for all these churches you're getting ready to start today. My prayer is that you will leave here, and I don't see a a, a clock, so that's real bad news for me, Malcolm. I have a hard time landing the plane, okay? Uh, So I guess I'll just use my phone here. There we go. There we go. I see it now. Today, my prayer is that you leave here convinced that God can use you. Now, you've heard all your life that God can use you, and as a theological, doctrinal point or fact, everyone in this room would say, Yes, God can use me. But I'm not convinced most of us really believe that. I believe we got it in our heads. I'm not sure that we've got it down here in our hearts. It is my prayer that when you leave here today, it will be in your heart, a strong conviction in your heart that God is going to use you. I didn't say me and not Malcolm and not Doug over here, one of these pastors, but each one of you. Every one of you, everyone in this room, I want you to leave here today understanding that God not only is willing to use you, not only wants to use you, but he will use you if you will allow him to do so. You see, John 15 and verse 16 tells us that God has chosen us. He's appointed us. He's appointed us to a fruit-bearing ministry. When I read this verse, John 15, verse 16, Jesus said, You have not chosen me, I chose you, I ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and not just fruit, but remaining fruit. Here, I, in my mind, it kind of goes like this. I can, I can hear Jesus saying, Hold on a second, uh, son, wait a minute. Let's get something straight. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I chose you for a reason. I didn't just choose you to give you a a fire insurance policy. I didn't just choose you to give you a ticket to heaven. I chose you for a reason. I've appointed you. You have an appointment from God. And that appointment is to go and be his fruit bearer, to bear fruit. Now, what is the fruit of a Christian? Well, you might say it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, that's the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of a Christian? The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Uh, Cows produce cows. Chickens produce chickens. Uh, Coons produce coons. Uh, Christ followers produce Christ followers. Everything reproduces after its own kind. The fruit Jesus is talking about here is what you've been hearing your pastor talk about. He has chosen you. Not just to forgive your sins, not just to redeem you, not just to give you a a new life and and eternity in heaven, but he has chosen you. He said, wait a minute, let's get this straight. I chose you, and I chose you to go bear fruit. I want you to reproduce. That's what the Great Commission is all about, Matthew 28, 19. You are his fruit-bearing, disciple-making, kingdom-advancer. That's who you are. And by the way, when Jesus said, go and, and, and teach all nations and make disciples and all of that, he wasn't, he wasn't talking to pastors. There weren't any yet. He was talking to us, to regular followers of Jesus Christ. You are his fruit bearers. You are his disciple makers. You are his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he didn't say, I am an ambassador, and you are the embassy workers. That's not what he said. He said, we, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 
In my mind, this church building here is kind of like an, an embassy, okay? And this is the headquarters. And there's all kinds of work that needs to be done around here. Somebody's got to make that big box, and somebody's got to sing, and somebody's got to put the slides up, and somebody's got to take care of the coffee, and somebody's got to park the cars. We all have jobs that we do in the embassy. But listen to me, Temple. You are more than embassy workers. You are ambassadors. Paul didn't say, I'm the ambassador, and you pay the bills. Paul said, we, we are ambassadors. What does that mean? An ambassador is sent to a foreign country to give the message from his or her king to communicate what the king, what the leader wants those people to hear. You are, have been sent into a foreign country. You say, wait a minute, I'm a citizen of the United States. Well, you're actually, Philippians 3 verse 20, you are actually a citizen of heaven. Your citizenship is up there. In other words, this world... It's not your home. You're just what? You're just passing through. The other day, my wife and I were driving through Raleigh. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I don't know what got me on the subject, but I started talking about, I said, darling, where are you going to bury me? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, men die about seven, eight years before women. So I'm 60, going on 68. Uh, and by the way, I don't know why that is. I don't know why you ladies out. I, my theory is you put something in our coffee, Okay. That's what I've got in my mind. But anyway, I said, I'm probably going to die seven, eight years before you. And I said, I can't figure out where I want to be buried. And she said, well, what are the options? I said, well, I was born and raised in Georgia, but I don't want to be born in Georgia. A bunch of rednecks and red clay, and I don't want to be born in uh, Georgia. She said, well, she said, what about Indiana? She's a Hoosier. I don't want to be buried in Indiana. A bunch of basketball playing who I don't want to be buried in and, and she said well what about uh what about Florida we used to live in Florida and I know you love Florida but so hot and humid down there and just just I don't want to be and and you know what I can't I can't figure out where I want to be buried and in fact I can't even figure out where I want to live because this I, I, have you ever is anyone anyone in this room like me you just don't feel at home here you just don't feel, I don't feel at home anywhere. You know why? This world is not my home. I'm an ambassador. My citizenship is up there. He has chosen me and appointed me to be his disciple-making, fruit-bearing ambassador, kingdom advancer, and he has done the same thing for you. Somebody say amen. Acts 1.8, Malcolm already quoted it. Jesus directly connected the coming of the Holy Spirit with power to be his witness. I know the Holy Spirit came for other reasons. But the very last thing Jesus said, the last words of red letter Jesus before he went back to heaven was, I am going to go home to my Father. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will give you the power you need not to be my church attenders, not to be my parking lot parkers, not to be my coffee makers, but I'm, he's going to give you the power you need to be my witnesses. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if we want to talk about our identity in Christ, that's who we are. We are his fruit bearers. We are his disciple makers. We are his kingdom advancers. We are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses. That's who we are. But there's a problem. There's always a problem. We have an enemy, 
And that enemy wants to convince us that God can't use us. You have an enemy. Jesus called him your enemy, the devil. And he tells you that God can't use you. He'll tell you God can't use you because you're not smart enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not good enough. May I remind you when those thoughts come into your mind, when a thought comes in your mind, God can't use you because you're not good enough. God, can't, Those thoughts didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Those thoughts came from your enemy, the devil. May I remind you what Jesus, your Lord and Savior, said about Satan. John 8 and verse 44. Jesus said about Satan, he said he is a liar. Everything he says is a lie. When he opens his mouth, when his lips are moving, he is lying. That's what Jesus said. He will bring up your past. Somebody in this room has a past. Everybody in this room has a past. But some of you have quite a past. Okay? And he'll bring that up to you. He'll say, well, you remember that time you cheated on your wife or you cheated on your husband or you broke that law or uh, all that time you spent in jail or all that, those drugs you used and all that stuff you did that was wrong. He will bring up your past. I remember years ago I heard somebody say, when Satan brings up your past, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. That's all you got to do, just remind him of his, his future. And it's not a good future, ladies and gentlemen. May I remind you that everybody that God used in the Bible, every major character we know of in the Bible had a flaw. There's only a couple that aren't mentioned, and even they had them, but they're just not mentioned. Do you remember Noah? How many of you remember the name Noah in the Bible? Yeah, Noah, Noah, uh, Noah God used Noah to save the whole world, the whole human race, the big ark, the big boat, all the animals. When the floods finally went down and the animals got out, and the first thing Noah did was he made an altar to worship God. Well, that's good. The next thing Noah did was he got drunk. And when he got drunk, it led to a family situation, and the human race has been going downhill again ever since. We had about one good week there, and it's been going down ever since. Everything's been messed up ever since. God used a drunk to save the entire human race. If God can use Noah, can God use you? Do you remember the name Jacob? Jacob was a scoundrel at best. He was a a, a schemer. Jacob goes into his father's bedroom. His father is old and blind He cannot see. And Jacob lies through his teeth to his sick, blind father in order to steal a blessing that belonged to someone else. God not only used Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. If God can use a line scheming man like Jacob, can God use you? I think of Moses, the great lawgiver, faced Pharaoh down, eyeball to eyeball, saying, let my people go. Split the Red Sea. Wrote the Ten Commandments authored 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses, who wrote, Thou shalt not kill, killed a man. Cold-blooded murder. If God can use a murderer to give us the Ten Commandments, can God use you? I think of Samson. I don't even know where to begin with Samson. Samson had hormone problems, okay? He never saw a pretty face he didn't, he didn't uh, get attached to. But God took Samson and not only used him to be a judge over Israel, but in his death, he took out twice as many of the enemies of God as he did in his entire lifetime. If God can use Samson, can God use you? I think of David. David killed the bear, killed the lion, killed Goliath, David and Goliath. Uh, great warrior, uh, poet, songwriter, could play the harp, uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David was king of Israel. I mean, good night incredible life he lived. And yet, you know the story, David and Bathsheba. He not only committed adultery, slept with another man's wife. That's only half of it. The man who was married to Bathsheba was a member of a group of elite warriors known as David's mighty men, Uriah. David's mighty men were like a cross between a secret service uh, bodyguard slash Navy SEAL. Those guys were devoted. They were warriors. They were tough. And they were devoted to David. They were David's mighty men. While David is sleeping with Uriah, with Bathsheba, her husband is out fighting David's battles, risking his life for David. And when David, when David found out Bathsheba was pregnant, in order to hide what he had done, he had his, his mighty man, Uriah, he had him put to death. He had him killed. I would dare say nobody in this room has stooped that low. You may have cheated on your, on your, your buddies, uh, with your buddy's wife, but you did not then have your buddy put to death. David did. You say, did God still use David after that? You flip over to the very first page of the New Testament. The very first verse of the very first page of the New Testament starts like this. Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Can God use you? I think of uh, Jonah. Jonah's kind of like Samson. I don't even know where to start. Jonah had all kinds of issues. God said, Jonah, go this way. Jonah went that way. He, he just had a, a rebellious streak. And you know the story, the whale, the big fish. He finally spit Jonah out on the third day. And Jonah's got seaweed wrapped all around him. And he's discolored. And he runs into Nineveh. He learned his lesson. And he preached. And a whole revival broke out. The whole city repents. 
I've never read anything. Like, I mean, I've seen a lot overseas, but I've never seen, heard of anything or seen anything like what happened in Nineveh. It says from the king all the way down to the stable hand, everybody, the whole city, it's over 100,000 people, everybody repented. How many people live in Coleman? It'd be like the entire city of Coleman plus every single person repented. The Bible even says the animals were in sackcloth and ashes, which was a way of showing repentance. And I don't, I've never understood that. How can an animal repent? Be like you get home from church today and your dog and your cat's all walking around with, with sackcloth. And you say, you say, I don't understand that. I don't understand it either. Ask your pastor. I have no idea. I just, all I know is that the animals were even repentant. The whole city was spared. You would think Jonah as a prophet would be all excited. Well, we find him sitting outside the city on a hill looking down at Nineveh. And when he saw that God had decided to spare everybody's life, he got so upset, he said, God, go ahead and kill me. I'd rather die than see those people live. What kind of prophet is that? Man, that guy needs to find a new job, amen? I mean, who? That'd be like Malcolm standing up and preaching. Everybody in Coleman gets saved, and he's so upset about it that he wants to die. Jonah had problems, and yet God used Jonah to lead maybe the greatest turning to to God in all of history. If God can use Jonah, can God use you? We can go to the New Testament. You find the same. There are two brothers, James and John. Jesus called them sons of thunder. Uh, some people, I think, think that was a compliment. I don't think it was. I think Jesus was saying, you guys are boisterous. Have you ever been sitting at home and all of a sudden a loud clap of thunder just scares the living day? That's kind of the idea. These guys were, they were mean. They're walking down the road one day and they start talking to some guy and the guy doesn't agree with them, doesn't want to follow them. James and John wanted the guy to get behind them and follow them, and he wouldn't do it. You know what James and John did? They said, Lord, can we call fire down from heaven and burn this guy alive right now? I mean, who does that? Who, who would even think that way? Be like you witnessed to the, the, the gal at the pharmacy uh, where you go to get all your drugs, all right? He sure goes, he, he goes to that pharmacy a lot, doesn't he? Um, if she says, no, you can't tell me my son. Lord, call fire down from, burn her off. I mean, who would do such a thing as that? James and John. Did God use them? James became a martyr. He's going to have a martyr's crown one day in heaven. He doesn't already have it. John became the apostle that Jesus loved. He gave us the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Revelation. Gave us the book of Revelation. Uh, John's the one that Jesus hanging on the cross, looked down from the cross and said, Mom, I know your heart's broken, but you're going to be okay. You go home with John. He's going to take care of you. John, she's my mom. Nobody like her in all the world. John, I'm giving her to you to take care of. Oh, my goodness. One day he's wanting to call fire down from heaven and roast everybody the next day. He's got Mary by the hand and taken her home. If God can use a son of thunder, somebody in this room's got a bad temper, somebody you blow it constantly, road rage, you name it, you got it. 
you think, I, I can't be used of God. Oh, if God can use John and James, can God use you? I could go on and on. What about Peter? Anybody here ever been to the Holy Land? Anybody at all? Oh, listen, my, I, one of my favorite spots there is the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, they say those olive trees, some of them may have been around when Jesus was there. Those things never die. And it's, it's our Lord's last night before he's crucified and he's burdened and the weight of the sins of all the world are upon his shoulders and he's, he's, he's crying out to his father. Hebrew says he was crying out prayers of loud agony. He was just, have you ever prayed? Not a little, lay, now I lay me down to sleep prayer, but just a crying out in agony type prayer. That's where Jesus was. That prayer was, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. You remember the, the setting? And Jesus needed someone to pray with him. And he walks over to Peter and says, Peter, would you pray with me? Peter says, sure, I'll pray with you. And before Jesus goes back to the rock where he was at, he turns around, and there's Peter fast asleep. And so he goes over and kind of wakes him up again. Peter, I need somebody to pray with me. Peter, you're my, you're my right-hand man. You're my closest. Peter, yeah, Lord. I'll, and he falls back to sleep again. And that happened. And finally, and finally, here come the, the soldiers, and they arrest Jesus. And you know the story. They carry him off to, 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 the, to the trials. And Peter follows, the Bible says, from a distance. And he's a little bit cold, so he finds a, a campfire there where they're warming themselves. And inside, they're beating on Jesus, and they're spitting in his face, and they're, they're, they're blaspheming him and calling him demon-possessed and, and hitting him and mocking him and saying, you deserve to die. And Peter's outside, and some girl walks up to Peter and says, aren't you from Galilee? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, I don't know the guy. I've never seen him. I don't know who he is. He begins cursing. And that happened then a second time. Twice he sticks a knife in our Lord's back and twists it. And then the Bible says that Jesus looks over and, and somehow their, their eyes meet and the rooster crows. In our Lord's deepest, darkest moment when he asked his closest confidant to stand with him, Peter denied him. And yet, just a few days later, he stands up and preaches, and 3,000 people come to Christ. That's basically this entire auditorium twice. If God can use a man like Peter, can God use you? I could go on. Paul, killing Christians, ended up writing half the New Testament. Can God really use people like us, David? Can God really use me to, be a, to reach people? Can God really use me to bear fruit? Can God really use me to make disciples? Can God really use me to be an effective witness? Can God really use me to be his ambassador here in this foreign country, this foreign land? Yes, he can. One of the great joys of my life is I get to work with many people all over the world that are faithful, spirit-filled, greatly used of God people. In closing, can I just show you a couple of pictures? There's a guy in West Africa. You guys have been funding a lot of the work in West Africa. His, uh, if you want to put that first picture up for me, uh, we call him Pierre. That's not his name. 
But uh, Pierre has no legs. It's kind of hard to see there. He's not. His legs are cut off just above the, above the knee. He, uh, you know what that guy does all day? He stands out on the street corner with a big old Bible. Stands. He's about this high. But big old Bible, he just tries to tell people about Jesus. Most people don't look at him. Most people don't make eye contact with him because they think he's a beggar. Every once in a while, about once a month, somebody will stop and listen to him. I got to preach in his church one day. He probably had 100 people in his church that he had led to the Lord. 100 people. How many of y'all have legs? If God can use a man in West Africa who has no legs to bring 100 people into his kingdom, can God use you? What about a, a gal from Asia, South Asia? She can't read and write. Cannot read a word. First four months of training, she led, I think it was 84 people to Jesus Christ. Two or three churches were started out of her converts. If God can use a woman who can't even read and write to lead 80, 80 plus people to Christ, what could God do with you? How many of you, you people can read and write? Let me see your hand. Everyone in this room can read and write, unless maybe you're from Mississippi, okay? Uh, everybody in this room can read and write. Take a look at her. She's poor as my, as my mother would have said, poor as Job's turkey, and I have no idea what poor as Job's turkey means, but... Poor as Job's turkey. She can't reach, can't write. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Over 80 people have come to Christ. If God can use her, can God use you? What about the little blind widows? I love these gals. It's not, it's not a good picture. It's hard to see. But in that picture, there's a bunch of little blind widows over in East Africa. They can't see a thing. And they're widows. And they're old. And they all got saved. Uh, TTI Church got started. They all got saved. You know what those blind widows do? They hold each other's <laughs> they, they hold each other's hands. And they walk from their village to other villages. The, there's no roads, or the roads are they're not roads like our roads. And it's just bush and brush. And I don't you say, how do they get from one village? I have no idea. It's like those dogs repenting in sackcloth and ashes. I don't know how they do it. But they hold each other's hands and they walk from their village to other villages and they tell people about Jesus and a bunch of other widows have come to Christ as a result and several churches have been started. They can't even see. They have no eyes. But God is using them greatly to bear fruit. If God can use a bunch of East African blind widows, can God, use you. I think of the Bible thief. Somebody in my office named him Dan. That's not his name. But Dan, the Bible thief, he robbed a house one night. He just got a bag and he put everything of value in it. He saw a book over on the, over on the side, so he grabbed the book. He didn't know what it was, and he 
That night he starts reading it and it ends up being the Bible. He couldn't put it down. He, he read for days until he finished it. And during that time he was introduced to Jesus through reading the Bible. He put everything back in the bag, went back to the house he had robbed, knocked on the door and said, I'm the thief that stole your stuff. And he said, I stole this book. I don't even know what it is, but my life has changed. It told me about a man named Jesus and I've become his follower And he told me I'm supposed to come back and ask you for forgiveness. So I've done that. They not only forgave him, they brought him into their home. They let him stay there. He became their son. They gave him a place at their table to eat, a bed to sleep in. He became a Timothy and started a church in the very house he had robbed, ladies and gentlemen. If God can use Dan the Bible thief, can God use you. I can do this. It's a good thing for y'all there's another service. I can do this all day. There's a guy named John. I like John. John lives up in way northern Kenya, up in that frontier area, up close to Ethiopia in, in South Sudan. He's a member of what's called the Dasanach tribe. They're like the lowest of the low. I mean, if you, that's like saying the other side of the tracks and then the other side of those tracks. These guys, are, they just don't have anything. You can see the, his village there in the background. We're showing the Jesus film there one night. The life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke on, on the screen. And John had never seen a movie. They never had a movie in their village. And John thought it was real. And he got mad at the Roman soldiers for hurting Jesus because he had grown to like Jesus from the movie. So he picks up rocks and starts throwing them at the Roman soldiers at the screen, trying to chase off the Roman soldiers. Till finally he walked behind the screen and realized they were, they were not there. It was, just a, it was just an image. John gave his heart to the Lord that night. I, he probably can't read, probably can't write. Never seen a movie in his life. From that man's fruit... In the last four or five years, over 100 churches have been started, 50 of them second and third generation churches. The man had never even seen a movie. We're just the opposite. We've seen way too many movies. If God can use Dasanach John, can God use you? Well... May I share one more with you? Gonga. I like Gonga. She, she is just so precious. 21-year-old girl, college student. Goes to class all day. She has no, no help, no money, uh, no, no husband, no boyfriend. She saves up her rupees and gets on a public transportation, a bus after school, and rides a couple of hours. And in that part of the world, if you've ever been on one of those buses, that's like dying and going to purgatory, okay? I mean, it's just like, it's rough. And she goes two or three hours outside of the city, and they let her off at the base of a mountain, and she just started walking up the mountain. And she came across a village of people that had never heard about Jesus, and she led them all to the Lord. She led the whole village to Christ. I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. She led them all to Jesus Christ, the whole village. And a church was started there, and then they told her about another village up another, another uh, hour or two up the mountain. So then she, she starts walking up that trail all by herself, no money, nobody to help her, nothing. And she leads that entire village to Christ. 
Everybody comes to Christ, and I've been there. The joy, the, the, they burnt their idols. They got rid of all that stuff. If God, and by the way, then she walks back down the mountain, rain, shine, sleet, or snow, and there's a lot of snow there. She walks back down the mountain, stands there in the dark, waiting for that public bus to come back by. It picks her up, gets her back to her dorm early in the morning, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, and then she's got to get up and go back to school again. And she does that every week, two or three times a week, and she's been doing it for several years now. Oh, my goodness. If God can use a 21-year-old penniless college student, can God use you? Most pastors begin with their text. They read their text and then depart from it, okay? I want to end with mine. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him, praise his holy name, that is able to do exceeding, exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, that's the Holy Spirit, unto him. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Can God use you? Yes, He can. Say those three words with me. Yes, He can. Let me ask you a question, Temple. Can God use you? Yes, He can. Let it move from here to here. Now, for those of you who believe it, what's your response? May I suggest three. Number one, you can pray. I've already asked you to come get my card. You guys are funding a lot of churches. Let's back it up with prayer. I told Malcolm, I, it's easy. I think people find it easier to give money than they do to pray. Man, we need your prayer. But I don't want you just praying for us. I want you to put your pastor and your, all your staff, all your leaders on that. Put all your Timothys on that prayer list. Put Coleman on that prayer list. Write down the names of everybody you know that doesn't know Jesus and just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Pray for our country. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Prayer is what makes the disciple-making happen. You can pray. Everyone in this room, I don't care, I don't care who you are, everyone in this room can bear through, through, through your prayers. Number one, you can invest your money. You guys are already sending thousands to heaven. My prayer is that you will send tens of thousands. Don't stop now. You can do it. Listen, fill that mother of all change boxes up. Fill it up. Invest your income. And finally, number three, make disciples here in your Jerusalem and start with your children. If you don't disciple your children, nobody else is going to. You are their parents. 
you take those children and you turn those kids into to fruit-bearing, disciple-making, kingdom-advancing, Holy Spirit-filled witnesses who will be faithful ambassadors for the King of Kings. And if, you say, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm not sure if I know how to do that. Well, how many training centers do you all have here? You've got 10 training centers. Starting a new one. You just happen to be in a church that will be glad to train you how to turn your children into, into sold-out followers of Jesus Christ. Temple, here's my question for you. Can God use you? What's the answer? Yes, he can. Say it together with me. Yes, he can. One more time. I pray you believe it. God bless you, Pastor Malcolm. Thank you.